This episode of Life on a Plate is sponsored by Vitamix. Now, Vitamix is much more than just a blender because a Vitamix can make everything from frozen desserts and smoothies to nut butters and dips. You can use it to grind coffee or spices. And this one really threw me. It can even turn raw ingredients into hot soup in just six minutes. In fact, it's a fantastic tool if you want to get more fruit and veg into your meals. And it's great for plant-based recipes too, making it really easy to eat healthily. A Vitamix is simple to use, and here's the bit that I really love. Easy to clean, but it's powerful too, and you can expect fast and professional results, which is one of the reasons why many chefs would not be without one. Vitamix have been around since 1921, which is 100 years of expertise that goes into every blender, and they are completely built to last. All in all, a Vitamix is a great investment, and I can absolutely vouch for the fact that it's a total game changer in the kitchen to get yours visit johnlewis.com forward slash vitamix welcome to life on a plate the brand new podcast from waitrose in which we talk to some very special guests about what food really means to them we ask about their comfort foods and favorite dishes their food memories and even their kitchen disasters and by the end of each episode you'll know a lot more about them. My name is Jimmy Famarewa, and joining me is my co-host, Alison Okavy, Waitrose food editor and kitchen genius. She uh, has that on her business cards. Um, who I'm very excited to see, particularly today, because, interestingly, we hadn't actually met until this week. We'd been working together, but we had our first proper meeting, and it was just a really good laugh, and it was nice to properly meet in the flesh. We had fun at the photo shoot. We were kind of both equally kind of larking around quite a bit. and I got a feeling there was a bit of competitive eyebrows going on about who <laughs> could was. do the best facial expression. Yeah, yeah. We are both clearly total hams that will do anything <laughs> for a funny photo. Um, but it was really nice. It was lovely to just kind of have a little bit of, you know, we've been joking that this is like we've, uh, we're in an arranged marriage, like a professional arranged marriage. And uh the heat was on to see if it was going to work. And I think it, I think it's going to be okay. I think we're going to be all right. I think we'll get on. Um, yes, but okay, we need to stop um, yammering on and get down to work, um, which today isn't really work at all because we are introducing our conversation with Nadia Hussain. Um, we were hugely honoured to have her as a guest on the podcast. She is, of course the winner of series six of the great british bake-off she has best-selling cookbooks she has written children's books she is a great advocate for better and more honest conversations about mental health and anxiety she cooked the queen's 90th birthday cake she has an mbe she's achieved so much and she was just an absolute delight as far as i'm concerned how did you find her I thought she was really great. I mean, I just think she's just an amazing woman. I don't know how she fits so much into 24 hours. I just love the way she hates waste food and mm. is always trying to work out how to use leftovers up. And that's exactly the type of thing I'm trying to do in the Waitrose recipes, giving people the confidence to to just cook and use leftovers and avoid food waste. Yeah, yeah. She She's a really good advocate for 
all of that stuff and she kind of really humanizes uh the work of baking and the kitchen she let us into like the chaos of her home and her home kitchen and talked to us about testing things on her kids and that going disastrously at times and yeah you're absolutely right she's got an ethos that's really inspiring so without further ado here is our life on a plate conversation with Nadia Hussain Nadia, thank you so much for joining us. First of all, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit initially about just your first memories of food and cooking and its place in your family. You grew up as one of six. Uh, I, you know, I'm one of three, but, you know, that sounds like a breeze compared to what that must have been like. So what was what was food like at home and what did it represent in your family? I think when you're younger, you don't really, it's just, you don't really think about what food is and you don't really, those memories, I think they sit in the back of your head somewhere till that, till it becomes important. It was chaotic is the word that I would use because I grew up with a dad who ran restaurants his whole life, um, really doesn't know how to do anything else apart from front of house and running restaurants. Um, and that's what he's always done from a really, from, from, from the moment he could work. We, we very much lost our dad to the restaurant. You know, like he, when, when you run a restaurant, you, you have to accept that you, that person isn't always going to be a central point in your life because he ran the restaurants and he, he ran them badly. So he spent a lot of time <laughs> running himself ragged. And so I spent a lot of time between the stainless steel kitchen and our kitchen in our terraced house in Luton. That was life. Um, if I was managing to, if I managed to wangle my way into the car with dad on a, on a work day, um, I would be in the restaurant with him, taking orders, peeling garlic. And that was kind of a lot of my childhood. And, and if I was at home, then it was mum always cook. Mum was always cook. I mean, genuinely, I don't remember really ever doing anything else. Like that was my life. Mum cooking, always something always on the stove, whether it was for something that needed to be cooked overnight or whether it was breakfast, there was always something happening. And then there was dad who would come back from the restaurant with all the leftovers. So he was not a waster, like everything that was left over. And that was like the good stuff. Like you'd get bits of king prawn, you know, like the stuff that was really expensive. So it was great. So it was a mixture, I suppose, of the two. And those are my kind of very early memories of of food. Yeah. I was going to say that one of the things that perhaps would surprise people that's missing from this is baking. And you have spoken about the fact that you came to baking late, even though, of course, through winning Bake Off and through your incredibly successful career since, that's what people have come to know you for. That's what you're synonymous with. But the oven was just something that you stored pots and pans in, right? Correct? Was was that the case? Yeah, baking was not a thing. And like, and you, even in that conversation, I literally never mentioned cake or baking or any yeah, of that yeah, at yeah. any point. And I, and I just, it was not a part of our life. And baking wasn't a thing that I ever really understood till I went to school. And then my um, home ec teacher at the time was like making cake. And I'd seen Delia do it. I'd never seen a real life person make a cake. So for me, I hadn't put the two together that she was actually doing what Delia was doing, but just in a kitchen, in a, in a school kitchen. And then she put this kind of cake together and then turns on this 
oven and I couldn't. I was like, Mrs. Marshall, you've gone mad. I said, what are you doing? That's the cupboard. And she said, she said, you're, you're, you're a silly girl. Are you telling me you don't know what an oven is? And actually I went to a school where I, I did the work. There were two English kids in our school and everybody wow. was either Pakistani or Bangladeshi. Yeah. And I did not, that was it. There was two English girls in the school and that was it. And mm. we, every one of us were just as baffled. It wasn't just me. I wasn't alone <laughs> in my uh, astonishment. It was like, everybody was like, oh, she's, is she making cake? Like, and so it was, it was a huge big deal for all of us. And I'll never forget that my first ever smell of butter and sugar baking in an oven and then out comes this cake. And then we eat this cake still warm out of the oven and there was no Mr. Kipling and there was no wrapping involved. It was just <laughs> cake out of a tin. And I, I think that magic will always stay with me. Yeah. And I never really started baking till I was in my twenties after I'd got married, I was pregnant with my eldest. And I remember just thinking, oh, I, 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 it dawned on me that I'd bought this freestanding oven, but I could actually bake. What was the first cake that you actually baked? The first thing I ever baked was a Victoria sponge, yeah. a very lopsided, the <laughs> oven was too hot on one side and not hot enough on the other. And I was only just getting into baking. So, and I remember um, when I was in high school, I'd won an award um, for excellence. And, and she came and asked me, she said, what would you, what would you like if, you, if there was any book you could have? And they would give all the children a book and I'd never Surprise. I'd never owned a book before so I, I remember going to the library but I'd never actually physically bought or owned mm. a book till I was 16 so and I was like oh I mean like of all the books in the world what could I possibly want and I asked her for a a, a, a baking book and so she bought me my first ever baking book which I still have that's um, amazing which I still have and I baked my first ever Victoria sponge out of that it was lopsided but it tasted just like Mrs. Marshall's from amazing from Homeic. <laughs> it's it's very encouraging for all of us to hear that even you started with a lopsided bake. I think it gives us all hope that uh, you know we, we could yeah. we could get to your levels one day. Um, you touch on that moment of of revelation at school and kind of being introduced to to kind of uh, baking and this kind of these English staples and, and this kind of whole new world of, of food and, and cuisine. You've also been really candid and admirably candid in the past about school not being the easiest time. And it's really amazing the way that you've been so honest and upfront about that. So I mean, when I think back to much younger when I was quite badly bullied, I was like, and I mean, like it was quite horrific. Mm. Um, and I remember, although like I said, home was quite chaotic because, you know, growing up in an immigrant household where it was mostly just survival, you know, as long mm. as the bills were paid and we were just getting by, you know, that was our life. There was no aspiration. There was no um, getting better or um, improving our lives or aspiring to be better or be more. It was just survival. And mm. I think a lot of growing up, that's what it felt like for me, like, especially in primary school going leading into high school. Um, the, the bullying became so bad that really like that chaos became my comfort and food. I remember just really looking forward to going home and opening the door and and being met with that smell and trying to guess what mom, cook, mom had cooked that day. And often it was like seven, eight different curries. And we, wow. would, sit, we would sit through eight different curries. And there was no, <laughs> there was no, oh, you don't have, you just have one and you go. It was yeah. very much, there was an order. 
So you had the vegetables and the fermented fish, and then you'd have the chicken, and then you'd have the meat, and then you'd have the and then you'd have the mango and the cream. So there was like a hierarchy of things wow. that you eat in a particular every single night. And I don't know how my mom did it, but food <laughs> has that has always been comfort for me, and that's something that I think I've always tried to recreate that for my own children. idea of leftovers and I know you mentioned it with the uh, things that would be brought home by your dad from the restaurant and I know that waste is something that you have been really anti throughout your kind of and you were brought up with this philosophy and I think especially now it's something that people are getting more and more aware of but um, you are all about the kind of the awful and even oh, the yeah. things that, that perhaps people would uh, would be put off um, talk us through that and your kind of journey with that and is it still a treat is it still something that you kind of you savor I absolutely hate waste like it's the my biggest bugbear when I see people throwing things away I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I grew up in an immigrant home. Um, my grandma was a, you know, was an immigrant and my parents and they all kind of grew up um, desperate for a taste of home. So they did everything they could possibly to create that home within their home in England. And I never understood that as a child, but I remember just growing up and I remember once, you know, those moments in, in school when they say, right, so let's talk about what everybody had for dinner. First time I remember feeling really nervous as it got to me. And I said, um, cow's tongue and rice and chicken livers. And everybody just went, and looked at me and I was like, oh, is this not normal? And I knew as she went through the class that this wasn't like a thing yeah, that people yeah. did. And I remember then realizing I, there was a moment where I was like, oh, I'm, not, I'm never going to tell anyone what I eat at home. And then when everyone reacted, I was like, guess what else I eat? And so it became a thing. So I then, as a child, became very proud of the stuff that we ate. And my dad mm. always said, you know what? You, do you know how much? And my dad would come home and say, do you know how much I paid for this cow's tongue? I'm like, how much, how much? And he's like, nothing. And that was like, that is my dad through and through. And he's like, if they're throwing it away and we can eat it, why are we not taking it? Yeah. Why have we killed a whole animal? Mm. Why have we killed a whole animal to pay for the best bits? And mm. actually the best bits are the bits that are being thrown away. And my kids, if you ask them what they, they love tripe, wow. absolutely love tripe, love cow's tongue. <laughs> they love all the innards, like they all, anything on the inside, they will devour. Um, so... <laughs> It's, it's one of those things like nose to tail eating is so important because it means no waste. But that equally, that being said, it's also about the stuff that let's put off aside for a second. That's a whole other stretch. But yeah. it's things like potato peelings and, mm. you know, ch chucking away, you know, bits of scrap pastry. Like I don't throw away scrap pastry. I bake it and I put it in a jar for when I'm making a cheesecake because, you know, normally when you're making a cheesecake, you'd use a whole packet of biscuits. But if you save up the pastry and crumble that up, before you know it, you've got an entire jar of bread um, biscuit crumbs that you can then use in your pastry. So I'm, I don't throw anything away. Potato peelings. If you just freeze it and stick it in, in the freezer, uh, a couple of weeks later, you've got like potato, carrot, parsnip peelings that you can turn into an amazing, wholesome, hearty scrap soup, which is what mm. I like to call it. Yeah. So it's mm. little things like that. I think it's changing your mindset. I think that's really important. It's changing your mindset, but also it's giving people the confidence not to waste food all, all the time as well. Absolutely. I think, and I think that's why it's really important to be vocal about that kind of 
think because I think it's very easy to fall into the trap of being a recipe writer or a cook and kind of constantly saying you need this list of ingredients and this is how you use them and actually we don't have to be we don't have to be uptight about food it is food and it's edible and it's delicious and let's think about how much we're spending and what we're wasting all of those elements are a big part of being a cook for me like I am that that's a big part of how I was raised and I think the more I'm vocal about it and the more I talk about it the more honest I I, the more honest it all feels for me Mm. and the best thing out of it is that I think when people watch and say oh actually she's doing it I can do it that that's that's giving people confidence and that's really important it's it's a very good point. And you mentioned your uh, shows and TV and the books and children's books. And, you know, you've kind of got this uh, incredible empire that's come up over these past few years. But the place that it all starts with, with was with Bake Off. Um, how do you look back on that time and what it was like and what was going on behind the scenes and, and the things that you were kind of going through at the time that people didn't really see? That all does feel a little bit like a blur because it wasn't something that I'd ever intended to do. So like, I, I didn't apply for Bake Off myself. It was my husband that yes, yeah. done the application. So I'm like, who does that? Like, I think that's <laughs> the most bizarre thing for any human. Because I was, I think at that point when, when he'd applied, I was at my lowest in terms of my mental health. Um, and I was really struggling to kind of, I suppose, almost find myself again, because somewhere between um, being married and having children and being a stay-at-home mom, I'd kind of lost myself a little bit or um I was desperate I, and and, I'd, and and I suppose for him he'd seen that I'd lost the will to find myself and I think that's where it really got him and he just thought there was a time when you you get lost but you you're, you're desperate to find yourself but I'd, I'd then given up and said yeah I'm not even willing anymore to to find the lost version of myself so I think it really upset him and I think it really I think it was something that was um that was affecting him and he just said as I spent more time in bed and less time with the children and more kind of in, became more insular, he just said, I think you need to do something for you. And so he put the application in. And I don't know where the common sense is in that because I don't see how being at the worst in my mental health at that point to then say, I'm going to put you on the biggest baking show in the country. <laughs> I, can't, I can't see how that yeah. clicked in his mind. The most stressful thing imaginable. Like, yeah, maybe exactly. there's a kind of uh, immersion therapy approach where it's kind of you put yourself through something so tough. But he, he, for some reason, he decided that that would be the right thing to do. And I said, yeah, yeah, look, I'll do it, but I won't get in. And that'll upset me and that'll hurt me. And then that will just trigger something else entirely. And he said, no, 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 it'll be fine, it'll be fine. I managed to get in. And I, and, and I kind of look back at that moment. And I think anyone who suffers with, a mental, health, uh, with mental health issues or knows someone, I think when people watched me, they saw whatever it was that I wasn't willing to speak out about. And I know in that moment, when I look back from look back five years ago I still can't fully watch that end bit because like the mixture the mixture of the music and my sobbing face and my children's voices in the back really can really I mean it really I I even now I can feel my jaw tightening up as I say it because it is it is it for me because that moment was much more than cake it wasn't about winning a competition nobody really saw how often I was falling apart only to be picked back up every single week to allow myself to believe that I could do that. You know, that was hard. That was, that was a, that was a difficult 10 weeks that my children experienced, that I experienced and my husband experienced. And 
collectively, we were on that journey together. But ultimately, when I got on that train and went to the tent every weekend, I was really fighting myself to get through those weeks and to get to week 10, which I still call week 10. And my husband says, it's the final. There's no week 11. You can't call it week 10. And even now I still can't call it the final. And I look back and I think my life has changed so much in those five years that often I go back to remind myself of who I was. And, and, I, and I do find myself visiting her and I find myself comforting her and reminding her that actually it's going to be okay. Just thinking about some of the specific dishes, I know that in Nadia Bakes, uh, your most recent uh, book, is there a kima spice toad in the hole? Am I kind of am I getting that right? Am yeah, I sort of, so yes, it's like a it's got lamb seek kebab toad yes. in the hole. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, yeah. So talk us through the kind of the the inspiration behind that one, and using that as an example. To what extent do you know when something's kind of got legs as a recipe and as an idea and the fusion of, of, of two different cultures is going to work? Well, I mean, <laughs> come on, seek kebabs and Yorkshire pudding. Can it go wrong? Come on. You just like, you yeah. only have to say yeah. the words to know that it's <laughs> going to work, right? Yeah. That's it. Like for me, there's some things, and I, sometimes I do feel like, oh gosh, is this really out there? I used to at first really worry that some recipes would be too much, but then like I, there's this thing, I, and I just, I suppose like, my distinct disrespect for tradition has just allowed me to just <laughs> do whatever I want. Like, mm. I just think it's sometimes, I just think it's okay. Like, because that's, I've always, that's just the way I've always cooked. And so when you take something like a seek kebab, which I grew up eating, and a Yorkshire pudding, like if you do both elements justice, if you really spice that mince and make it really delicious, simple yet spiced and fragrant and delicious, and you respect that Yorkshire pudding, why can't you put the two together? I just can't see why that can't happen. And I think we need to just stop worrying about, I used to worry so often about putting recipes together and being told off because once I did a Cornish pasty and someone had a go at me and said, oh, well, you can't put, you can't put apple in a, in a Cornish pasty. But like, I'm just going to tell you, it's really tasty when you put chunks of apple instead of the sweet because some people don't want to buy a sweet, but they have an apple at home. So that was like, just, it was just one of those things. And it tastes out of this world, like delicious Cornish pasty. So, um, yeah, so I used to really worry at first, but uh, but then you do things like I did chicken donuts, so I've got chicken donuts in yes, the book. Yes, yeah, and mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> there, was a, there was a little bit of a social media meltdown, and I was like, "What? No, I can't even imagine." But I mean, I don't think I've ever eaten so many carbohydrates in in one sitting. When yeah. I made, the, I always know it works when I make them at home, and the kids say, "Hmm." I don't, you know, when I know I've done it and it's worked first time and I don't have to test the recipe anymore, the yeah. kids say, the kids will come home, eat a lot and then say, mm-hmm, mom, I think you need to test that one again. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, they like it. So That's always me, the giveaway. Exactly. And, and, and it's like, yes, the words are weird to put together chicken and donut, but like, you know, essentially a donut is fried bread isn't it? So why can't we put chicken in it just because somebody said jam was acceptable? Why can't we put you? Who said, who said we can't put chicken in a donut? Well, I'm (laughs) saying it's allowed. And I think it's a delicious concoction 
and it works and it wouldn't be in the book if it didn't. So like you have to, I think when you, when I come up with things like that, there's no point in being shy about it and there there is no point in being humble about it because I know it's delicious and it's going to be anyone who's made it it's like one of the most delicious things anything Mm. fried with chicken and donut like come on and then it's got like a savory dust on top of garlic and dried oh just delicious just delicious amazing it is Have you got any have you got any examples of any combinations that you've tried that on paper you think will look good but in practice just really have been a total disaster um, no, well, one of the things that I really was nervous about using, and I have been since Bake Off, was lavender. For me, lavender is a thing that I grow in my garden to deter other cats from coming and weeing in my garden. So to think <laughs> yes. that we use, to think that we can use it as an ingredient, stresses me out slightly. It did at first, um, and then I gathered my lavender from my old garden in Leeds. And I remember during Bake Off, I did a um, a bavoir cream, and I I flavored it with white chocolate and lavender and not really understanding the potency and the kind of strength of lavender. And I remember saying to my kids, like they, they're my chief taste testers. So I was like, guys, try this. I'm always shoving things in their facing here, try this. And I'm like, okay, mom, I'm kind of midway through a changing or having a shower. And I'm like up there with pots and pans (laughs) and bottom. Try, 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 try it. And my son put this kind of bavoir cream in his mouth and I could, the look on his, the, the, you know, the, the, the kind of, I don't know if you've ever seen this look, but you know when you know his eyes and mind are all just looking for a bin? You know, like he was like, oh, 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 oh. And I was like... He must have felt like he'd tasted a mouthful of chocolate-flavoured soap, if you know that dominant flavour of lavender. So he, he literally ran around, ran downstairs, chucked it in the bin... And then came up to the, I was still at the top of the stairs. He was still at the bottom. And it's the only time my son has ever shouted at me. And he said, don't ever, ever (laughs) put anything like that in my mouth ever again. I was like, okay, okay, sir. He's at eight at the time. He was furious, absolutely furious. And he spent the whole time eating salt and vinegar crisps then to get flavor out of his mouth. Um, But then I decided to, in this book, um, to revisit my revisit lavender and I said no I'm going to pair it with something that it works with and like really understand what lavender can bring to a recipe so I did a lavender and blueberry scone pizza I mean I don't know if you can put so many weird yeah. words together yeah I was gonna mention this yeah <laughs> Scon, pizza blueberry lavender fantastic um you mentioned your kids there as your kind of chief testers and toughest critics it turns out how important has it been for you to kind of create the kind of environment that you've been talking about that you grew up in and kind of in terms of uh, the values that you kind of had and that you've carried through life I know that um, there's always quite surprise from people from the outside that that will assume that you'll have lots of help and you know there'll be kind of uh, some you know, fancy test kitchen that you're going off to and you're surrounded by an entourage of of kind of uh, of, of test bakers. But but that's not really the case, is it? You're you're shaking no, your head now. Absolutely not. No, no. I'm I'm um I for me, ultimately when I write a cookbook and we have these weeks of talking about the cookbook and uh then I go on and you know I've been really lucky to have cookery shows that go with my cookbook. So you know when I am up there standing talking about my recipes, whether it's a podcast or an interview or just a you know, daytime, whatever it is, 
they have to be my recipes. There is, I have to know that book top to bottom, back to front, inside out. I have to know everything. When somebody says, how much is it? I have to know that. Like, even if I have to refer back, I have to know exactly which recipe they're talking about because that's really important to me. And, and I know that, you know, there are people who do have their recipes written for them and have things tested for them and have books created for them. I can't be a face of a book. For me, it's, it's the integrity of the book that really matters. And, and if I don't write those recipes, what's the point? Like to me, it's just another book. And I know now, I know when I see people on social media posting pictures of the recipes they've done, that is the very same recipe that I will have tested in my house. And it's not a big kitchen. It's, it's a lovely kitchen and it does what it serves its purpose. It is the heart of our home. It's where I test all of my recipes, all 120 of them, uh, one by one over two, three months. It's the same place where I cook dinner for my kids and get the cat food out and, 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 you know, do the dishes and, and all of that. Like, so, for me, that's like, it is the heart of my home and it's the place where I am most creative. And it, it to me, that, that, that matters. And no, I don't have like, I don't, I refuse to get myself a cleaner um, because I just, and there's nothing wrong with getting a cleaner. I'm not judging anyone who has one. I choose not to because nature has given me cleaners in my children. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I firmly believe that um, if they make a mess, they have to learn that somebody has to clean that up. And if they want to bake a cake, they've got to clean that up. If they want to make something, they've got to clean it up. There is no, and yeah, sometimes I'm nice. I might clean up a little bit around them if I'm in the kitchen. But on a Sunday, they spend three hours on a Sunday cleaning the whole house top to bottom. And there's no arguments. You have to, you, they don't like it. They hate yeah. cleaning the house. Yeah. And by that, I mean dusting the tops of the door frames, that kind of cleaning. None of this. Wow. Yeah, they have wow. to do it. They don't have a choice. They don't get paid for it. They have to do it. And um, <laughs> they, they don't, they don't love it, but you know, I just don't see the value in raising my kids believing that I can just afford to get a cleaner in and to clean the house because like the only thing I can't do is clean the windows. So like we have somebody come in and clean the windows and right now, especially right now, these people need their jobs. So absolutely. It's even more important <laughs> to pay them to do it. So no, I mean, once they're tall enough and get up a ladder, they're cleaning the windows. Brilliant. Tell us apart from cleaning do the, do the children do much cooking? Do you do much cooking with them? Yeah, they love it. They So I, I've got three kids, so the two, two boys. My eldest is 14. He loves cooking. So he loves getting in the kitchen and chopping and peeling and um, still have to coax him to do some of the cleaning because he's very, he very much cooks and then leaves. And I'm like, come back, come back, come back. <laughs> that old um, move. Yes, that old move. I'm like, no, you're, there is no fairy. You will be cleaning this yourself. But he loves to cook. Um, and my little girl, who's 10, loves baking. But my son, who's 13, like, can, loves eating. But like sometimes because he's so desperate to play video games, he just says, imagine if somebody could invent food in a tablet. You just take it. It fills you up. <laughs> but yeah, he, he, would, he genuinely cannot see the value in being in the kitchen. He loves to eat, but hates cooking doesn't really like baking. And so what I tend to do with him is when the others are in the kitchen pottering around, I try and get him to do the dishes and he loves doing the dishes. So even if that means like for me, that's enough. Like if he doesn't want to cook and if he doesn't want to cook or bake, I can't force him to do it, but he likes certain elements of it. So I try and include him in certain bits of it. But I mean, my husband cannot cook to save his life. <laughs> I'm still amazed at that. So tell us, Nadia, on a on a busy week when you're writing, you're you're 
testing recipes what do you feed your family how what do you have a quick go-to supper yeah so we like for us it's because I am busy and I'm testing recipes less so now but you know like for me it's all about kind of every like it's about how do we use stuff up it's always for us it's always about right how can I use this up I don't want to waste this it's but for for us on a weekday one of the quickest things so my kids have to have like they love pudding so they have got to have that's the least Bangladeshi part of them they're like very (laughs) British like we've got to have some pudding so two of our staples like we I do a a very quick no cook avocado pasta sauce so it's no oh, the only thing you cook is the pasta and the and then you literally just scoop out avocado bit of garlic bit of chili bit of coconut oil blitz it all up and you have a delicious avocado pasta that's so simple to make and then you can mm. just make it make loads of it stir it through your pasta and then like whatever you've got left over sits in the fridge and you can spread that on toast. It's just such a versatile thing to make midweek, you know, when we just kind of need something very quick when they're in and out of Zoom calls and classes and things like that. Um, And also one of the recipes I have to say is one of their favorites from this book is the uh, croissant uh, bread and butter pudding. So it's, and it's such, it's literally uses four ingredients that we all have at home, which is croissants split down the middle buttered jammed and then you take ice cream that you deliberately thaw out and then you pour that all over the croissants and then you bake it in the oven essentially what you've got is a very quick instant bread and butter pudding that is just like delicious because (laughs) that's what ice cream is ice cream is just frozen custard and Mm. normally in a bread and butter pudding you would normally use you'd be making a custard. Yeah, so why not yeah. just take the one you've got in your freezer and you cost it, right? Yeah. It's a really, <laughs> really good point. That's how my mind works. <laughs> and also it means you can have all sorts of different flavoured custards. Exactly. Depending we've, on what ice cream you've got. Oh, we've gone Neapolitan. We have. We've gone chocolate, oh, wow. strawberry and ice cream. It's, it's out there and it's going to make you eat a lot of pudding. I'm just saying I reckon that you should try it out. It's pretty good. <laughs> and is there an ingredient that you've always got in your store cupboard? Yes, I always, always have harissa. So it's just one of those things that are so easy to use. Everybody needs something really quick. That Because my kids, they're slightly spoiled in that they eat really kind of very flavorsome food. So, you know, mm. like, I mean, these are kids who love shrimp paste. So you can imagine, <laughs> like, they love all of that. So, like, whenever I, I mean, egg and chips just doesn't, they have to put, you know, they always, there's always something extra with egg and chips, even egg and chips in our house. It's like, they've got to add something extra. And Harissa gives you that instant kind of, you can get, flavor in anything whether you're stirring it through a pasta whether you're adding a little bit to a curry whether you are spreading it on toast with um, a poached egg and some honey like that you know even that something Mm. simple as that so I always have a jar of harissa for emergencies (laughs) emergency harissa I think that is something that we can all uh, learn from and try to emulate. Um, looking ahead, you've achieved so much. We've we've already talked about that. Are there any things that you kind of have that you still want to set as goals or are there kind of projects that you're looking ahead to now? Gosh, I wish I knew. Like, I think mostly I've been winging it. I, I, don't, I don't know <laughs> that I've really, I don't think I've really ever had a plan. I think I mm. have mostly been winging it. And it's really weird because I have... I feel like I've achieved so much more than I ever imagined I would in five years. You know, that like what that moment when I got that letter all sealed that I'd got an MBE, which was like, uh, right. So I was like, I couldn't, I remember looking at the letter thinking, Oh, this is fancy paper. What's this? You know, like this is, what's this, you know, like this isn't one from the high school. It's not from the doctors. (laughs) What it it was. I mean, it was plump. It was plump and it was fancy. And I I remember getting it and, 
it's really weird because I always talk about the kind of balance. And I, I remember being really excited and telling my mom, and she said, um, what's, a, what's, a, what's, an, what's an MBE? I was like, okay, no, okay, never mind, never mind. And then I said, pass the phone to dad. So I spoke to dad and then I said, dad, dad, I got an MBE. And he said, hmm, are there, aren't there any, aren't there letters that are better than an MBE? I was like, dad, <laughs> dad, you can't say that. What are you raining on my brain for? So like, I, I can't believe sometimes that I've achieved the, some of the things, some of the things that I have. And with those achievements, I have like moments of highs and moments of, lows but equally I have balance in that I can firmly keep my feet on the ground and I think that's what keeps me doing what I'm doing I think it's because I'm actually essentially just like everybody else it's just uh, this is my job and I cook and I write books and I work in telly and I think I think as long as I'm for me I think I've understood the importance of doing this job in a way that I hadn't five years ago because it isn't just for me, I've stepped into an industry that has never had space for someone like me. Uh, there was never space for somebody like me in publishing and television, because if there was, there'd be more of more people like me already doing this job. Hence, I would have I would have gone into the industry feeling like I could do it. So I've always had that kind of sense of can I am I allowed? Should I? There's always been that that wall that's come up straight away thinking, oh, I don't know if I belong here. It's always about, it's always been about belonging or whether I fit in or whether there's space for me. And the truth is there was never space for me in this industry, whether it's television or publishing, uh, whatever, uh, everything that I've done, there's never been space for me. So five years on, I understand the importance of doing the job that I do because it's much more than just writing cookbooks and working in television. It's about representation. And in those moments where I think, oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I belong here. I have to constantly tell my, I have to remind myself why I'm doing it. It's about creating space. And there's a thing that I say to my children, I always say to my kids, whenever they feel like they don't fit in or they feel like they don't, and they're teenagers, so they never feel like they fit in. So there's moments where they always say, mom, I don't think I can do that. Mom, I don't think I fit in. Mom, I don't think there'll be anyone there like me. In those moments, I tell my children, elbows out and it's about creating space and if you think about like actually the action of elbows out it is about it's it's about physically it's about emotionally creating that space for you because if you don't create that space for you if you don't fight for that space how will you create space for other people and ultimately that is what my job is I love doing what I do I would never be doing anything else but it is about creating space for others who will there's a generation out there who will look at me and say gosh if she's doing it i think i can do it and that is enough for me and as long as i'm doing that i'm happy nadia thank you so much for your time it's always such a joy and we look forward to seeing whatever comes next uh, because i'm sure it'll be great and i'm sure it'll be delicious thank you been listening to life on a plate with waitrose i'm jimmy famarewa thank you to my co-host alison okavi and to our guest nadia hussain to learn more about the series please go to waitrose.com forward slash podcast and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts